My name is Thomas Agos, and you're listening to me on Above and Beyond. with another episode of Above and Beyond, brought to you by the Reengineering Australia Foundation, where we strive to engage, inspire and educate students, teachers and industry about the career pathway options that exist in the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics. We're driving to create the next generation of innovators who will build Australia's economic future. But to achieve this goal, it's essential to have students engage with industry as much as possible before leaving school both as a method of building their career knowledge and smoothening their transition to the world of work. Career transition should be driven by the passions and skills of the student rather than being a somewhat random and last-minute decision process. Today's podcast will explore the journey taken by one of our F1 in Schools alumni from a school in Adelaide to a university in London and on to a career in the space industry. Thomas Agars became involved with their financial schools in 2008. In 2012, he represented Australia in the F1 in Schools World Final in Abu Dhabi as a member of Cold Fusion and became the F1 in Schools World Champion. His prize for becoming World Champion was the opportunity to move to London to study engineering at London City University. In 2018, he graduated from UCL with first class honours and master's degree in aeronautical engineering. Between 2019 and 2021, he worked in the UK. He's now returned to Australia to take up a role in the rapidly expanding space industry. Welcome, Thomas. Hello. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to, to see you back in Oz. Uh, I did detect a bit of a Pommy accent, if I can use that term. For sure. For sure. I mean, six, six years we'll do that too uh, in the UK, for sure. So to bring this audience up to speed with a bit of your background, where did you grow up? What school did you go to? And what was it like living in Adelaide? Okay, so yeah, I grew up in Adelaide uh, most of my life. I went to a tiny little primary school called Hallico South Primary School with about 20 students per class. I then moved on to Brighton Secondary School for my secondary education. And then I moved on to City University London. And that pretty much made up the entirety of my education. Growing up in Adelaide as well, perfect life, I'd say. Adelaide is just such a great place to grow up. Uh, it's a real family city and wouldn't have it any other way. That's my story in a nutshell. Can you describe the road that you travelled on in the F1 in schools to become a world champion? I mean, for most kids, it's, uh, you know, they might be starting out in this. What's it like to go through and what's the effort that you put in to get there? Yeah, well, I mean, my uh, kind of road on F1 in schools started from, I'd say, day zero. That's kind of the very first open day. I kind of met uh, the, the head of technology at the time, Mr. Reed, and, and that's where it all kind of kicked off. So uh, I competed each year, you know, initially in the development class teams and then in, uh, later on in the professional class teams. And every year we, we, we had, you know, varying success. Never really made it all that far. You know, we'd get through the state finals, we'd get through to the nationals, but then there'd always be some super talented team from, you know, Sydney or, or Melbourne, you know, pulling through and winning, winning the nationals. It was only really until my fifth year of competition that we that we found some success and, and moved on to the worlds and, and obviously went on to win that as well. But um, for me, it was it was every lunch, evenings, really whenever I had spare time, I'd be down in the workshop, coming up with new designs and and you know building them and testing them, and and that's what I enjoyed doing. So that's kind of what I was doing for five years or so, and and it, it paid off. A desire to beat the other kids that was driving that, or just a personal desire? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's a tricky question because my opinion on this has changed in recent times. So just to clarify, I was very competitive as a kid. I love being the winner. But later on in, in life, realize that you're not competing against other students. You're not competing against anyone, really. You're competing against yourself and you're trying to better yourself. For sure. When I was a kid, back in school, I really wanted to be the winner and come out on top. That was that was my goal. What are the major elements in that life at school that impacted that and where the teachers fit into the process? So without question, uh, my involvement in the F1 schools had such a huge impact on everything. I mean, it, it opened all the doors for me in, in the long run. Really, if you, if you want to bring where teachers kind of fit into this equation, at the time, uh, back when I was doing F1 in schools, it was an extracurricular activity. There was no allocated time for this project. So it, you, what you really needed was a dedicated teacher to, to stay back and keep the, keep the school open for the students that really wanted to push themselves and, and work on this project. So, I mean, really, the teachers had to facilitate the whole thing. And without them, it wouldn't be possible. These days, F1 in schools is actually a subject. So I'm, I'm really glad that that's actually a possibility for these students coming through. Without a doubt, teachers are absolutely key to all of this. Where did Mr. Reed fit into the inspiration process? Because he seems to have influenced a lot of a lot of kids over his teaching career. Look, Mr. Reed is probably one of the best teachers I've ever had. He never was one to give positive reinforcements, and I think this is actually a common trend. I mean, here's a little story. So every year, you know, you have a bunch of kids coming through, and they're you know spending days and nights sanding their car. You would approach Mr. Reed and you'd ask him, "Is it done? Is it good enough?" And he would never say yes, and he would always say, "No, try again." go back, try again. And really, I mean, what that taught uh, the students and what it taught me is to, to keep on keep on trying and to, to always you know, strive to do absolutely the best work you can do. He basically instilled in me the, you know, the confidence to keep on pushing and keep on doing the absolute best work I could do. He would remind you that there's, there's always a little bit more you can do and there's always something new to uh, attempt. How much impact do teachers have on you as a student? Really, teachers shape students in, in every way. You spend most of your time at that age with your teachers. When you started your front of school's journey, did you have any idea where it would lead to? Not really. I mean, I knew that it could potentially lead to a career in motorsport, perhaps even F1. Look, I knew that, I, I, knew that I, I loved the competition and I knew that it was time well spent, but I really had no real concept of the doors that it would open, at least not until the final year where going to the world, meeting all of these Formula One drivers and Adrian Newey and, and all the industry members, it never really clicked as to how big this, this project really was and the kind of exposure it, it gives you at that age. But certainly now looking back on it, all these doors that I you know, have been presented over the years just wouldn't, wouldn't have been there if I didn't uh, get, get involved in the competition. You said you loved doing the project. What was it that you loved about it? I'm a very hands-on person. I always have been. I mean, I spent my childhood more or less on the floor playing with Connects, Meccano, Lego, you name it, building, whatever. What this program provided for me that any other lesson didn't was the ability to, uh, you know, see a problem, design a solution to that problem, physically build that, test it, and then rinse and repeat. And that kind of process, it, it, it just encapsulated everything that I was being taught in all of my other formal lessons, but I can actually physically touch it and, and build it and and kind of make something out of it. That's why I loved it, because I can actually build something. How would you now, given that you've been through the process, relate the importance of an ATAR score as against developing those skills of communication and problem solving and project management and using your hands? 
I know at school there's a big focus on this number, but, but you keep saying to me it's the other things that really the, the bits that you learnt the most of. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to downgrade the importance of all of the fundamental education, you know, mathematics and, and English and, and history and all the other components of education. But really, for, for me, the way I think about an ATAR, it's, it's something that every student can set a goal towards. It doesn't matter what kind of goal you set. Let's just say you want to get a 90 or a 99 or a 70 or whatever it might be. It's, it's something for that student to work towards as, the, as, a, as kind of an end goal for their education, as their secondary education. In terms of communication and, and all of the other soft skills and the hands-on skills, unfortunately, that ATAR, it's, I'd say it's quite separate to those kind of skills. You really need some other kind of extracurricular activity or project or team sport or whatever it might be that just gives you that exposure to the other skills. I see strong value in an ATAR, but it's not the end or be all. The experience of living in and working in London, what was that like? I mean, uh, you know, we all have images of what it's like, and I've been to London enough times to know fundamentally what it's like. But being there on the ground, what's it like as an experience, particularly studying? First of all, coming from someone that's lived, you know, at the time, 18 years in Adelaide, quite a kind of sleepy city, as it were. Moving to London, you know, by myself, it was a massive culture shock. Just the variety of people and cultures and just the sheer number of people was quite difficult to adjust to. When, when it comes to the study and, and moving in and, and studying at City University, really, it's just the amount of people I met and the connections and the friends from just all over the world was incredible. Every other person could speak three languages. It was just phenomenal, really. And not only that, so in my time studying in London, I wasn't just living and studying. I was also working to support myself. And, you know, to be honest, I won't down, downplay it. It was, it was difficult at times spending nine hours at uni and then another eight hours in a, in a pub pouring some pints. It really, it really took it out of you after a few weeks of that. You were kind of ruined. So really, I mean, I would attribute the whole time of London building my character and the type of person I am, you know, giving me a really kind of worldly perspective, something that I wouldn't get in Adelaide. Now that you've returned to Australia, you're going to become involved in the space industry. Yeah? When I think about the space industry, the visual cues I have are, relate back to uh, Star Trek and Sputnik and Star Wars and landing on the moon. And all of those images are a little bit out of date, one might say, for the current generation. But the allure of space still seems to exist. What, what is it that attracted you to the space industry above others? As a kid, I would look at the remote control planes being flown around at the, you know, the school oval and I would think, wow, I was just awestruck. And um, you know, since then, I've completed my degree in aeronautical engineering and, and now I've, I've kind of looked beyond that towards the stars. You know, the saying, shooting for the stars, well, that was quite metaphorical, but for me, I took it quite literally. And in terms of space today, there's just so much potential yet to be explored in the space industry and there's just so many new things that are going to come through because of this kind of democratization of space that, that we're seeing in this decade and beyond. It's no longer the domain for, for large governments. It's the domain for private, smaller companies. The average citizen can potentially have, you know, those opportunities to explore space in the near future, in the coming decades. So that's just so exciting for me. The space industry is certainly starting to take off in the southern hemisphere, I think even more than the northern hemisphere lately, but it's going to go over time here quite dramatically. Where do you think you're wanting to be in that process? In the southern hemisphere in particular, in Australia more specifically, it's really early days. Everything's just, just kicking off now and, and all of the legislation and, and uh, you know, the technicalities of beginning that process is well underway. But I mean, I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to move into the space industry and I can't wait. 
in the coming decades or so. I mean, really, I want to be an industry leader in the space industry and potentially guide Australia or, or New Zealand or whoever it might be to success. An awful lot of things have come from the space industry, particularly technologies and, and materials. One of the things that you've come across or that you see are going to help change the world, so that the spin-offs from space research or space work that will help society as such. I think more directly, this isn't really so much a spin-off, but the way I see it, this, this recent space room, for one, is, is going to better connect everyone in the world. Plenty of examples of how this might be, how this might come about. Access to space with, with smaller satellites and better developed understanding of the world, the research about the, the globe itself. And more directly, I mean, I think it's definitely inspiring me. And I can only imagine kind of what this space boom is doing to the younger generation and how they must be inspired to, to enter into, into the space industry. It's just such a phenomenal occurrence. I personally didn't think that this would be happening in my lifetime. I thought it was, you know, the Apollo age was over and nothing like that is ever going to happen again. And it's just going to be a dead industry, but luckily not. So if I can interpret what you're saying, in a sense, the space industry is giving us a new window on the world. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Everyone's going to be able to see the world more clearly and understand the world and understand each other. Because if you think about it, there's just so many people in the world who, who just don't have that privilege. They are not connected to what's happening in the world, the technology, the advancements. And with that, I mean, it's just more minds, more progress. Sounds like it's going to help to make the place calmer, take away the conflicts that exist once we understand where we sit in the world more rather than you know, sitting in our own little closets and COVID lockdowns. We seem to lose perspective on where the world is all about and space seems yeah. to be able to bring a solution to some of those issues. And it certainly is such a big undertaking, infinite in a sense, that the whole world is going to be involved in some way and it's just going to provide everyone a new perspective, which is, which is so valuable. Have you always wanted to be an engineer? Absolutely, yep. From when I was a kid, I knew that I wanted to be an engineer. I didn't know exactly where that would take me or what kind of engineering, but I knew that sitting down with my, my box of Lego, designing something, whatever it might be, maybe since I was about five or six years old, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And, and I've just been chasing that uh, ever since and taking all the opportunities I could to, you know, to try and make that a reality. So here I am. Did you come from a family of engineers? It's actually funny you ask that. Formally, no. But uh, my grandfather on my father's side was a watch technician. And, and just to bear in mind, uh, he was born in 1890. So he was working on the early days of, of kind of watchmaking. But apart from that, no, I'm uh, kind of an, uh, an enigma in, in this sense, coming through uh, from my family. There was a desire to use your hands that drove the engineering side? I'd have to attribute that to my desire to do engineering, absolutely. I didn't really, I didn't really get access to you know, all the flashy screens and buttons and games as a kid. I was kind of just given my own creativity and, and kind of a, a medium to, to tinker. So keep on going back to the whole being given boxes of Lego or whatnot to play with. So that definitely laid the foundation. I, I knew that that's what I was good at and that's what I enjoyed doing. So that just kind of carried on. If you were talking to a younger version of yourself or to students, what's the mindset that you would give them about how they should prepare their life journey or prepare for a career? I think I've mentioned this previously, but I think the main thing that I would say would be kind of ignore the noise and ignore what everyone else is telling you and just compete against yourself and try and better yourself. And, and kind of in, in more detail on that, spend some time really thoroughly assessing yourself and your weaknesses and understand what they are and understand what you need to do to kind of improve upon them. 
Because if you're constantly aware of, of where you're falling short and you're honest with yourself, you can just you know, progress that much faster, applying your time and effort on things that will really make the biggest difference in your success. As generic as it might sound, never be afraid to try something new because you never know. You might discover exactly what you're passionate about by doing so. Jump in head, you know, head first and then give it your best shot. Of the skills that you have now developed in yourself, whether it's in F1 or at school, which are the, the things that stand out for you as being important for students to know about that you never did before? You know, the communication, or what are the things that you see as a great value if students were to concentrate on them? In schools, unfortunately, a, a typical kind of learning process is here's a problem, here's how you do it, you know, rinse and repeat, copy after me. But I think probably the most important skill in, in all professions and, and in life is critical thinking and being able to break down any problem to its fundamental components and, and really focus in on each problem one by one and, and building that problem back up to a, a more complex solution. Secondly, you need to learn how to connect with other people in a meaningful way. So very few accomplishments in life are achieved in a vacuum. You need to develop your interpersonal skills in any profession because that is exactly what leads to you know, great successes in, in one's career. Where do you feel passion and an interest in a topic fit in the process of choosing a career path? Well, here's the thing. As much as I respect, you know, career advisors, they don't really truly know who you are and what your dreams are and what do you want to do in life. Passion and interest is synonymous with what you should be doing in your career. If you're not waking up every morning excited to do what you need to do at work, you're not really a success in life. I, I think success is, is being passionate about what you do and not really working a day in your life and just enjoying what you're doing. You know, one-to-one passion and interest should be what you pursue, no matter what that might be. I'm keen to find out where do you think the role of teachers is in bringing out your passion and your skills? Well, I think it's, it's really the, the teacher's duty to provide that kind of environment and that opportunity to explore you know, the students' passions and interests. In the instance of, of Mr. Reed, back when I was competing in F1 in schools, uh, it, this wasn't, an extra, this wasn't a, a subject, it was an extracurricular pro- program. So without him being there at the end of every day between you know, 5, 6, 7 p.m. and beyond, you know, opening up the workshops throughout lunch and, and recess and, and just providing the students every opportunity to, to kind of progress in the competition. The way I developed as a student and, and the way I developed as the person I am today just wouldn't have been possible. Without the teacher's role in this, I would have just come out of high school with, you know, this stock standard understanding of math and English. And so absolutely teachers, in this case, Mr. Reed, served a significant role in, in my development as a young adult. All of the team members of Cold Fusion have gone on to achieve a great deal of success in their chosen careers. Has F1 schools in some way played an influence in driving that success or were you all just driven people? That's actually a very good question. To start off, we all really love the competition. I think I can speak on behalf of everyone in saying that. I know that uh, not all of us wanted or knew much about engineering to begin with. And for sure, it had a huge impact on, on, on at least half of the team in terms of pursuing engineering. But not only that, you know, other careers. Myself, Spencer, Jake and Michelle. Yeah. To answer the question on whether it's just driven or whether it was effort in schools, we, we all really enjoyed the competition and we're all close friends when we were competing. You seem to come together as a group and, and all push each other along the way to get an outcome. Yeah, well, I think uh, we got quite lucky in our final year of competing. I think we all had experience in the competition and 
basically filled the, the roles that we were kind of best suited for. I mean, we kind of extracted the best possible work out of each other and combined that into the you know, competition-winning performance. At the event, you're worried that you're going to do any good at all. And as a team, you're always pushing and pushing and pushing. And then at the end of the day, I think you won the World Championship by the largest, largest margin that's ever been seen before. You never thought you'd even get on the podium. Yeah, I mean, it's actually funny you mention that because that is exactly kind of how we all felt. We did our absolute best. We pushed our, our hardest. And, you know, throughout the competition, we, we didn't really have a perception of how well we were doing. We knew that we'd done well, but we, we honestly didn't think we'd get on the podium. And then when we got up on that podium and we, and we won it and we saw the scorecard, we were actually blown away. I think to reference the, the numbers, the gap between first and second was the equal gap between second and eighth. There was as many points between first and second. So that's incredible. Contemplating your journey so far, what life lessons would you pass on to students as they start their journey in life? What are the big things that have impacted you that you'd say you grab somebody and shake them and say, concentrate on this? Probably start off by saying it's all right to not really know exactly what you want, but never be afraid to try something new because, again, you never know where that might take you. In your schooling, it doesn't matter how kind of abstract or worthless you think the work it is you're doing is. All of the learning you're doing is an investment in yourself, and ultimately, that should be your biggest investment. You want to work as hard as you can. And probably something that I've stuck with throughout my life is it's not always the best option to take the easiest route. It's all right to go against the grain and, and try something that is just a bit out there and a bit different that you know will be harder, because really, at, at the end of the day, the more you struggle with something, when you overcome it, you end up being more resilient. Resilience is one of those traits that you don't learn or doesn't come across when you don't do it a test. It's something that you learn by making mistakes and failing. Absolutely. I have to say, as a younger uh, student, I had quite a lot of success and not that many failures. And really, that, that was at a detriment to, to myself in my future education and career. It took me a long time to adjust to, to getting rejected from, from all these dream jobs I've applied to. F1 jobs, I've applied to space jobs, and I've been rejected from more than I, I like to say. I've been re rejected from quite a lot, and it's taken me a while to adjust to that. So having failures is really important, and it's really important to, to take every failure on and, and really learn from it. Well, that's certainly one of the things you learn in life. You all go through life and things roll on quite well, but then when you hit barriers, then you realize that you know, you're going to hit them all the time, and it's not failure by you. It's just that you didn't fit the agenda at the time. Growing up in Adelaide and being involved in what I was involved in, it's quite a small audience, to be honest. I mean, if you think about the population of Adelaide and the amount of people you're competing against, really, once you get to the world stage, you know, whether, whether that's studying internationally or competing for jobs that are being applied to by people from all around the world, you really get a sense of the competition, the real competition out there. And it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite brutal. It's not very forgiving. You've got to have that resilience built up before you reach that point, I'd, I'd, I'd say. For every student that comes out of you know, the Australian education system, there's about 100 more of them right there at the same level, if not better, from around the world. That competition is fierce. And I think circling back to F1 in schools, if you're lucky enough to get to the Worlds or, or even to the Nationals, you, you get a real sense of, of that competition. And that's really valuable, in my opinion. But I think it's important for us to learn that it doesn't matter how tough the competition is, to, to take the attitude of no one said we couldn't and take on the competition is the most important element of that. Reach for the stars and don't let anyone take you down and tell you that you can't. You know, even your family or your friends, if they don't believe in you, it doesn't matter. You, you need to believe in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, you know, anything is really possible. 
And I know that sounds it sounds cliche, but it, it really is the truth of it at the end of the day. If, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. Well, Tom, that's been actually a wonderful chat. In amongst all of that, the pearls of wisdom I was looking for, I actually got. So have you enjoyed it? Is there anything that you'd like to add that you might want to say to kids, uh, knowledge that you might want to offer to them? Just never forget to just do the best you can and you know, take every opportunity with two hands because, you know, we're quite fortunate in this day and age. We have so many opportunities available to us that older generations just simply did not have. Never forget that. The ability to pick up your phone or, or your laptop or whatever it is and, and just learn any piece of information you want is just incredible. And a lot of people probably don't appreciate that uh, in, this, in this day and age. So if you want something, you know, you've got every, everything at your fingertips if you want to go out there and get it. It's right there, ready for you to take Thank you kindly for taking the time to talk to us. I think it's been wonderful. And um, when you take on your new role in New Zealand in the space industry, I'd be really keen to have another chat and see what it's like in the centre of the storm, if that's the term. Absolutely. I look forward to it. And it's going to be one tough time, I think, but it's going to be worth, worth it. No, I'm sure you'll do fine. I'll let those New Zealanders get on top of you. But... <laughs> I'll do my best, as always. Okay, bye-bye. Uh...